week one, the 10. Exodus 20, verse one says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. These commandments are an invitation into undivided allegiance and undiminished worship. I'm so glad that you guys are, are here this morning to our college students. So good to have you. I know you had a great weekend at your retreat, so it's just super cool to have you here. You know, this gives me a chance to say something that's really important. Here's, here's what we desire to be here at New Vision, among other things. We want to be a multi-generational church. I mean, we just had Daniel and his dad sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That, that's pretty cool. And we had these college students just bringing so much energy. And so I, I think that's what the body of Christ ought to be, just a multi-generational congregation where we encourage each other, love each other, learn from each other. High school students, you guys got a retreat coming up next weekend. Is that right? Good deal. It's exciting. So just I appreciate the energy. If you guys are watching online, that was a loud yell. You can't really catch that. It was, it was pretty powerful. But just the energy that uh, both of these ministries bring to the table. Man, I'm telling you, I am excited. This is my third shirt of the morning. That's how hard I preach this morning. So I'm bringing this one out because we are jumping into the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes when you're teaching the Ten Commandments, I think the problem in the church is we either neglect them and like that was like old school, Old Testament, we don't really do that anymore, we're not under the law, we're under grace, and there's all that kind of stuff. Or there's just kind of a, a legalistic approach to, that we have to obey all these in order to be in a right relationship with God. Neither one of those is a correct lens. And so I hope over the course of the next eight weeks, uh, we get a really good lens to see the Ten Commandments. We understand the context that they were given in. We understand more of, of what they meant to the original uh, audience that received them. We more learn more about God's nature through them and then really how to live our life in light of them. I think it's going to be a powerful time in the life of our church. I cannot wait. I hope you'll hang in here with us uh, through these eight weeks. And uh, we're going to, I think we're going to learn some stuff. We're going to memorize. That's one of the goals, to memorize the Ten Commandments, just to be able to list all ten in order. I never will forget, I was in a staff meeting years ago at a previous church, and our, our children's pastor was in charge that morning, which was a bad idea. And, uh, and so he, he comes in, and he just hands out. It's like 30 of us in there, and uh, he hands out a blank sheet of paper, and he says, hey, before we, before we get started this morning, I want you to just list the Ten Commandments in order. And they're like grown men and women who've given their life to serve the Lord, and they're copying, cheating off each other. Uh, it was just like it went south because it was, it was hard. And so we're going to do that with our families and just teach our kids God's Word. It's going to be really cool uh, as a family of faith to do that together. But let, let's jump in today. We're going we're to talk about this one concept. I've titled the message today, Freedom Rules, because there are some rules to freedom, but when we understand those, we really realize there's a level of living that we've just never had before. And that, that's what I want for you guys. And we're going to see it in this text. So if you have your Bible open, Exodus chapter 20, let's jump right in. We're going to look at commandment one and two today because they just go so tightly together. In fact, the first four commandments of the 10 just deal with our vertical relationship with God. So we're going to see one and two today. So let, let's jump in. Exodus chapter 20, 
starting in verse 1, and God spoke all these words. Now, there's a sense sometimes that uh, Moses got the law, came down and shared that with the people, but the first time they were given, it's God audibly speaking from Mount Sinai to the children of Israel and giving them these 10 uh, commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, Verse 2 sets the context for the Ten Commandments. If you don't understand verse 2, you're not going to understand the Ten Commandments, right? And so God said, I am the Lord your God. When he uses that that phrase, Lord your God, he said, I am a personal God. I'm your covenant-keeping God, and I'm the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Now, they had just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and it had probably been only 40 maybe to 50 days since they'd come out of captivity in Egypt, and then God is giving them the laws. I'm going to say this multiple times today, multiple times this morning. You cannot understand the Ten Commandments without really understanding the Ten Plagues that took place right in front of them. That makes so much sense, right? So what God is saying is, I am a deliverer first, and then I'm a lawgiver. Does that make sense? If you don't understand that, if you get those out of order, then it'll just lead to legalism, confusion, and, you, and you'll never get it. Uh, there was a dude on Thursday night. He didn't like what I said. He came up. It's always big guys that don't like what I say. It's never like a little guy that doesn't like, like what I said. But he, he thought it was, it was just way too much legalism. But again, here's what I want you to see. The context here is God bringing about deliverance first and then law uh, second as to how we should live. So let's look at verse 3. Here's the first commandment. First of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, here's how it's written in Hebrew. It's a word picture that I think can be helpful. It certainly is helpful for me, and I'm going to share it with you. When, when, When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, that phrase before me means to bring in front of my face. Right? And so here's that, here's that thing. You shall have no other gods or a false god that you just keep bringing in front of my face, un- unapologetically or arrogantly. And I would explain it this way. I like if, if you, and I know that's happened to some folks in here, but if, you're, if your spouse, the person you love and you've committed your life to, if, if they cheat on you or you have an affa- they have an affair on you, that, that would create just an unreal amount of pain. But it's a whole nother level of pain if they bring that person that they've been unfaithful uh, to you with and they just bring them right in front of you. Can you see that? That's a whole nother level of pain. And, and so God said, you shall have no other gods. You just keep bringing in front of my face. Now, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It just, it just tells me as a father and as a grandfather that my life living in obedience to the Lord Jesus has the ability to have just ripple effects for generation after generation after generation to come. But a life lived in, in disobedience and regl- neglecting the law of the Lord has a chance to have ripple effects in such a negative way as well. And it really gets, gets my attention. So, so here we go. So the first commandment is we should not have any other gods before God. The second commandment uh, says this, do not make for yourself an idol. So we've worked on number one and number two. Let me, let me just explain that a little bit because the second commandment is one that we always say, okay, I'm good there. 
Like, I got nothing. I don't, I don't carry anything around in my truck, like, that I've carved out, that I bow down to. I'm not really into that. So I got that one. I think we miss what that means here. Humanity has always, always tried to make God manageable. Right? I want to try to explain that. They've always tried to make God manageable. In fact, that's what the children of Israel do. Just a few chapters later, when Moses goes back up on the mountain, they just bring all their jewelry together, and they bring their jewelry together and form it into an image of, of what? A golden calf. You remember that, right? And that, that was really uh, a takeoff of, uh, of a false god in Egypt, th- this bull that was worshipped in Egypt as power and fertility. And so they just had a calf because that, maybe that's just a little bit more manageable for them. We've always wanted to make God manageable. And here's how we do it. We'd say today is the Lord's day, right? Sunday's the Lord's day. There's some truth to that, but every day is God's day, right? Just making God just one day is, in a sense, making him manageable, right? Or this is God's house, right? As if that's the only place that God dwells when we come in his house. And I, I know we don't fully believe that, but we just say things that really try to make God manageable because that's what humanity's always tried to do is just make God manageable. But when you make God manageable, he is less than who he is and we don't experience the fullness of his power. Does that make sense? That's why this is such a, this is such a big deal. Another thing that we do is we just try to, try to make God, we, we have our own personal beliefs about God. Right, and we, we would say things like this, well, my God would never, and then you fill in the blank. You ever hear anybody say that? And that's trying to make God manageable. And that's what the second commandment is getting at. Don't try to make me manageable. Let God be who he is so I can experience all that he has for me. Now, I want us to take a couple minutes today, and we're going to talk about three rules that we're just calling today the freedom rules. It's really what these Ten Commandments are really getting at. Certainly, uh, the First Commandment is getting at, and these are really the rules of freedom, but when we really apply these, then we realize that freedom really does rule. I mean, there's some power there and and a level of comfort, because here's what I believe in. And actually, Jen Wilkin, who we're looking at a video from her in just a few moments, she, she said this. She said this on a Thursday night when we were interviewing her, and it is so true, man. Like, I think about this. I want to be freer than I've ever been. Free from what? Free from fear, free from anxiety, free from discouragement. Would you agree with me on that? If there's more freedom there, I want that. But in the church, we are free from the penalty of sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with you agree with that? That Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin. We talk about that over and over again. But what we don't talk about a whole lot in the church is we also have been freed from the power of sin. Those things that just keep us in captivity. And I want us to learn how to step into that. And really, God's law is one of the means for us to step into that. So that's why we're taking the time studying. So here's the first freedom rule. First freedom rule is this. Rules are the guardrails to freedom. Now, we think just the opposite. Because when we, when we think about rules, we think about kind of limiting. We, don't, we think that rules kind of limit freedom instead of rules increasing freedom. Does that make sense? But what I want to show you is rules are really the guardrails to freedom. Now, this afternoon, some of you, if you're football fans, you'll probably watch the Green Bay Packers play. I guess they play today. Green Bay Packers quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. If you know something about football, you know Aaron Rodgers. If you know a little bit more about not only is Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is a great football player, one of the greatest quarterbacks maybe to ever play the game. But uh, what is also known about Aaron Rodgers is uh, Aaron Rodgers and his family, uh, he doesn't have any relationship really with his parents or with his brother. The brother's a very popular uh, broadcaster, college football broadcaster, and it's sort of this uh, really kind of heated feud and separation they have in the family. It really comes over their religious beliefs, right? Aaron Rodgers really walked away uh, from his upbringing and from the truth of his parents raised him in church, and so that created this uh, real distance in his family. Here's a quote from Aaron Rodgers. 
And I'm not loading up on him. I'm using this quote because I think it's something that's really a popular belief in our culture that really freedom, our, our really rules limit freedom. Roger said, I had some good friendships along the way that helped me to figure out exactly what I wanted to believe in. See, that's sort of the culture we live in today. We determine truth. That's what he's saying. He said, ultimately, here's what I believed in. Ultimately, it was this, that rules and regulations and binary systems, binary systems means there's a right and there's a wrong, that rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Like Aaron Rodgers said, I kind of got to this place where I realized that rules and regulations and kind of right and wrong, that doesn't really resonate with me. So I'm not into rules. But I don't think that's really true about him because if you watch him play football today, he's very much into rules. I mean, it's not like he would just say to the guys on the sidelines before he takes his first possession, guys, anybody wants to come out there with me, come on. I mean, if it's eight, if it's 45, whatever, it's just free today. No, there's only how many people can come out on that field with him at one time. Just 11, right? He's counting them as they come out there, right? He's, he's pretty clear that they need to stay still until the ball is snapped because if you move prior to the ball being snapped, that's a penalty, that's a rule. And if you watch him play, he is very much into to rules because without rules, there's chaos, right? But really what he's saying is I don't really want, to, I don't really want a God who's over me. I really want to be my own, own God. And so it's easy to kind of load up on him, but I'm not so sure if we haven't done some similar things inside the church. Like, here's a statement we make, and I've made it, and there's some truth to it. And, and you hear it all the time in Christian circles, and it sounds good, man. It sounds really good, and people will say amen to it, right? People say, Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is about relationship. You hear that all the time. Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is about relationship. That's just not true. Christianity is certainly about relationship, but it, we, we believe we pit kind of relationship with God or the grace and mercy of God against the law of God, and that's just not true. That's not what we see in, in Scripture, right? The gospel is very much rooted in the truth of God's Word and the laws that God has to set us free. See, I grew up thinking that the Ten Commandments were obsolete, and what a miss. But here's one, here's one of the things that's really important. I want you to hear this. If you don't hear this, then you'll be upset with me and you can be very confused theologically. The Ten Commandments were never intended to make bad people good. The Ten Commandments were intended so that free people could remain free. The Ten Commandments were never a means of salvation. In other words, if you obey these, you'll be right with God. They were given to a people who had already been freed by God. Do you see why that's so important? They were in captivity in Egypt, and God released them. And then after he released them, then he gave them the law. We had Jen Wilkin here Thursday night, and uh, Nick and Dixie and I interviewed her. It's about a 12-minute video. You, you should, if you have the time this week, you should, should listen to it. She says some amazing things. She's written a book called The Ten that is so helpful to, uh, Ten Words, I think it's called, so helpful to understanding the Ten Commandments. But we, we took a couple minutes. Nick asked her a really good question on this same point. And I, wanted, I want you to just turn your attention to the screen. Let's listen to what she has to say about this point of, of rules really enabling our relationships. Take a look. You said a word that I want to come back to. You said this word of freedom. Now, typically, if I'm thinking about freedom, they have nothing to do with rules. Like, when I think about rules, when I think about commandments, I'm thinking shackles. Mm -hmm. But kind of what you said about freedom leads me to believe that these Ten Commandments lead us to how to live in this freedom, can you explain that a little bit more for us? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the story of the Exodus, right, we aren't given the law. The law is not given to the children of Israel until they are set free. 
from their slavery. And imagine it would be cruel of the Lord to announce the Ten Commandments to them when they're in hard bondage and they're unable to have, I mean, he's gonna command rest, you know, as the fourth commandment. And to command rest to a nation of slaves would be an act of cruelty. It would be injustice. So it's not until they are set free from the bondage to slavery that he gives them his good law. And if you think about it, if you think about the Bible as a whole, when are the two times in the scriptures when human beings are truly free, right? Where would you look at? You'd go to Genesis 1 and 2, and then you'd go to Revelation 21 and 22, right? And in both Eden and in the New Jerusalem, guess what is obeyed perfectly? The law of God. The law of God is for our freedom because it returns us to who we were created to be in the beginning. When we obey God's law, we are fully human in the truest sense because we were created in his image to do things that please him and to reflect him. And we do that when we obey his law. That's really great truth. I hope you'll go and, and watch that, that full interview. She does an amazing job. But I think it's really a tool of the enemy to, to pit the grace of God against the law of God. That's never the intention in, in Scripture. Let me share one passage of Scripture before we go in a little deeper because I want to. This is the third time I've touched on this, but I don't want to, to create any confusion about what we believe about the Ten Commandments, what we believe about the law. L- listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2.16. Watch this very, very closely. Paul says, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, it isn't our obedience to the law that brings us in a right relationship with God. In fact, it is the law, the Ten Commandments, that shows us that we're sinners, that we can't keep these, and so we need a Savior. It was Jesus who completed the law perfectly, obeyed the law perfectly, and it is through our faith in Him that we are justified But then now, as justified people are free people, it is the law, our obedience to the law, that really begins to help us to grow spiritually and step into that freedom, right? I want to say this statement, see if you agree with it. As a follower of Christ, we're not under the law for salvation. Would you agree with that, two of you? We're not under the law, right? But we're we're, we're no longer under the law, but watch this. But no person, no believer is above the law either, that makes sense? We're not above the law. In other words, these commands are in play, and they are for our good and for our freedom. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is a great verse. In fact, this is love for God. In other words, this is what it looks like to love God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. In other words, this is an evidence that we've been born again, that, that we realize that we have been delivered and we have a delight now in our life to keep the law of God. And then, he, and then that last phrase that John says, and his commands are not burdensome, now because a redeemed people who have the gift of the Holy Spirit, now we have the ability to walk in obedience to these commands like never before. You see that? So what does it mean to love God? Part of what it means to love God is to delight in keeping his commands. Why? Because rules empower relationships. Relationship. You see that? Rules empower relationship. Relationship without rules just equals chaos. And the opposite is true too, right? If you, if you, you, have, you have rules and, 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 and no relationship, right, then, then that is, that's going to create rebellion many times in, in our life. Jen shared this on uh, Thursday night. I'll steal it. It's also in her book, but it's a great way to illustrate it. She says, you know, if you were called uh, tomorrow morning to... Um, be a substitute teacher in a kindergarten class. That'll get you going on a Monday morning, right? 
And they said, well, we've got two classes you can pick from, Ms. Jones's class and Ms. Smith's class. And Ms. Smith's class, first of all, here's what her class is like. They have no rules. It's just freedom, right? You do whatever you want to do, right? Just love people and do your deal. Or, or, or you have Ms. Jones's class, and she's got clearly articulated rules that are there on the board. The kids understand them, and they kind of follow that orderly system. Like, which class are you going to want to work in? That's pretty obvious, isn't it, right? And, and so that, that, that's what rules do. They really enable relationships. So let's look at point number, number two. You're one-third of the way through the message. The last two-thirds will go a little faster. Can you hang in here? This is super important. Rules are the guardrails to freedom. That's where we've been. Now, number two, and this is what the first two commandments really get at so hard. Undivided worship of God is the foundation of true freedom. Let me say that again. Undivided worship of God is the foundation of true freedom. That's what God is saying in the first command. You shall have no other God before me. In the second command, do not create any images, right, any false gods. Don't worship any false gods. So undivided worship of God is the foundation of true freedom. God is saying to a nation of Israel, I brought you out of this political slavery in Egypt, and now I'm going to release you from this slavery of idolatry, what's going on inside of you, so that you can be free. That's really the point of Exodus. That's what Moses keeps saying to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. And, 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 and this undivided worship is what God wants from us, and it's what we need so that we can be free. But, but, but it's a hard thing to get to. Because the first commandment, here we go, this is a, just a bottom line truth. The first commandment is the starting place for anybody who wants to experience the freedom of God. And everybody in here today would say, I want to experience the freedom of God. But, but how do we do that? We have to identify if we have any things that we keep moving in front of God's face. Right? Martin Luther said if, if we could ever bring ourselves to keep the first commandment, not having any other gods before God, we'd naturally keep all the others. What an amazing statement. Like if we could ever keep the first commandment, then we'd naturally keep all the others. And think about how true that is. Like I don't need to covet any longer or want what you have because I know my God is a provider. I don't need to lie to try to appear a certain way to you because I already know what God thinks about me. I don't, I don't need to have my hatred move to murder because I know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's what God says about him. So all these things, understanding the first law allows us to keep the rest. God clearly explains in, in, in commandment number one and commandment number two that he will not put up with anything that competes with him. That's what these two commands are getting at. But the problem that all of us have, John Calvin said it best, our hearts are idle factories, right? So we have so many things in our life that really compete against God. And the opposite of Christianity is not so much atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. It's having these things in our life that are competing against God. And I will never be free. Here it is today. Here it is. You and I will never be free as God wants us to be in our life until we really take seriously this concept of identifying the idols in our life. But how would we do that? It's interesting. Let's look at back at verse, uh, verse 4 and verse 5 of Exodus chapter 20. And there are three words that are embedded in verse 5 that are going to help us. They're going to be triggers. We take a look at these words, understand what these words mean, and they will be triggers to help us understand what might be some idols in our life. And these idols that are keeping us, they're in competition with God, and they're keeping us from the freedom of God. You shall not make for yourself a, an image in the form of anything, verse 4, uh, in heaven above or, or, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Here it is, verse 5. Look at these three, three, three phrases. 
you shall not bow down to them. You ought to underline that phrase, to bow down. That means to be, be controlled by those things. So you don't bow down to them, nor do you worship them. Underline that word worship in your Bible if you have it open. That word worship means that you're, you're giving weight to something. You're, you're giving something value over and against God. And then I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You want to underline that third word, jealous. It really speaks of love. Now, think about this. When we think about jealousy or we, we hear that God is a jealous God, that's kind of, we hear that in kind of a weird way, don't we? Like God is a jealous God. What does that really mean? Because when we think about jealousy, we think about that overbearing husband that, that, that everybody knows, Right? Like, he's just so overbearing with his wife. They went to the beach for fall break, and he, he ordered her an Amish swim, swimsuit before she, she left. Like, it's just like, nobody's looking at my wife. Like, just, just so overbearing. But that's not what this word jealous means. God is, God is just jealous for us because he knows if we give weight to anything else in our life over and against him, then we're never going to be free. You see? That's what this passage is getting at. And idols, think about this idols, those things that compete with God, an idol is not necessarily a bad thing. Are you with me? Usually an idol is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing in our life, right? Idol's not necessarily a bad thing. An idol is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. I used this in the first two services, probably didn't go over very well, but children are good things. Would you agree with that? Children are a blessing from the Lord, the Scripture says. Children are good gifts from God. They are, they are lousy gods, right? Do you see that? Right? Taking care of your body, understanding is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and really caring for your body is a good thing when it becomes an ultimate thing, and that's really all we can get into focus of over and against God is our, our appearance, right? Then that becomes a God. It becomes an ultimate thing. And an idol is anything really that we love more than God. That's what an idol is, anything that I love more God. And that's where this word jealousy comes in. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for anything in your life and my life that we love more than Him, and that begs the question, like, well, how would I know that? And so I think the things that we love more than God oftentimes are revealed by our dreams. What are the things that you find yourself dreaming about? You see, many times those are the idols in our life. And I'll, I'll just, just be vulnerable and risk being weird here to tell you one of my dreams. It's a reoccurring dream. Is that okay? Um, You'll think less of me when you hear that, but anyhow, I have this reoccurring dream that uh, I preach this sermon. I mean, it's like the greatest sermon that most anybody's ever heard. It's just, it's not this one. Obviously, you're saying, well, this is not this one today. It's another one that's coming. We'll look forward to that. Uh, but it's like the greatest sermon ever. I mean, it goes viral. Like, you've heard that sermon? That's the greatest sermon. So I have that dream. And Josh Heibel's the, the, the coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, he hears the sermon. Right, And I said on Thursday night, he hears it and got saved. Somebody emailed me and sent me his personal testimony. He's already a believer. Okay, good. Um, so uh, Josh Heupel hears it, and he said, well, that's great. I want to I have this guy. So he, 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 he flies me up every Friday evening. I mean, I've seen in my mind, I'm on the little private jet. I'm flying to Knoxville or wherever the Tennessee Vols are playing. I'm in the hotel. I'm speaking to the team, right, get a chance to preach to them every Friday. And then Saturday game day, I'm all decked out in UT swag. I mean, I can see it in my mind's eye, walking up and down the sidelines, right, you know, praying with guys, encouraging guys. What a guy. And you say, well, there, there, there's nothing wrong with that dream, or is there? Could it be that one of the false gods in my life is the praise of men? That I have sacrificed so much 
for in my life. Even when we use the word sacrifice, that's just kind of a word of idolatry, isn't it? Like we will sacrifice. Like what sacrifices? There's many, many times I have sacrificed my integrity for the praise of men because I want the praise of men. And what is that? That's a false god. That's something that I, that I have at times loved more than God. And I just bring it right back and forth in front of his face. So an idol is anything we love more than God. An idol is anything we trust more than God. Right? So what does the scripture say? Do not worship. Right? And worship means to give the most weight to. What are you and I giving the most weight to in our life? If we're giving more weight to something other than God, then, then that's a violation of Scripture, right? That's an idol. We'll never be free. And so we might ask this question, well, how would I know that? So if the things that we love are revealed by our dreams, right, the things that we worship or give the most weight to many times are revealed by our nightmares, And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Those are the things that I'm so afraid to lose. That's what really generates some fear in my life. Like it's having a reoccurring nightmare of a loss of a certain relationship, a loss of a job, like something goes south, right? And And you're out of work, and so you just have this reoccurring nightmare about losing something. Losing an election, right? Here we go. This will alienate and get some folks kind of fired up. Uh, Today, the area that I see the most fear in our country today is people with their political beliefs and political leanings, right? And and, and listen, I'm not making a political statement here. The gospel transcends politics. Politics aren't bad things, but politics aren't an ultimate thing. Do you see that? And so, listen, if, if that is generating a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear, do you know what that could be? Could be revealing that's a false God. You're giving more weight to that than to the Lord. That's why the anxiety is coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, and that's how I know. So that has to be confessed to the Lord or I'll never truly be free. And I've got to tell you, it is so prevalent today. I mean, I, I got to say this, and this will get me in more trouble. I, 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 I know believers today, and they'll, they'll tell me about somebody in their family, and they'll identify them by their political party first. Now, do you know him? He is a whatever. I mean, we're more concerned about a person's political leanings more than they, if they're born again or not. Do you see that? So we're giving it more weight, and it's become an idol uh, in our life. Here's the third thing. An idol is anything that we bow down to. That's what the Scripture says. What does that mean? What is it to bow down to something? It's something that commands our obedience. Like, when it speaks, we obey. So what is that? What is that idol in my life? When it speaks, then we obey. For me, man, food can be an idol in my life. Right? I, I'm, because I, I think this, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself, but here's what we have such a hard time with in our culture today. We have a hard time just being still in the midst of sorrow or discouragement or disappointment. And so when we're sorrowful, stressed, discouraged, or disappointment, or disappointed, we have a hard time just being still. And there's always an idol. There's always a synthetic that we can go to very quickly, right? Food, drink, work, porn, you name it. I mean, let's just think about it. I mentioned food, but alcohol, let's think about that. That always gets people fired up, right, when somebody like me starts talking about that. Listen, when you study this, and I'm an equal opportunity offender on the subject of alcohol, right? There is that belief in the church that if you take a drink, then that is likened to sin. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible speaks against drunkenness, 
right? But, 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 but here's the thing. Alcohol, just like food, can be one of those things that just we bow down to it. Because, listen, when we're sorrowful, when we're discouraged, when we're depressed, we go to that instead of learning to be still and wait in that place and letting God be who he wants to be. We just have a hard time being still. And that's where idols come in. They're just so easily accessible, aren't they? Right? It's a whole lot easier to grab something to eat, to click on a website, right? Or grab a drink instead of waiting for God to step in. J.D. Greer says it this way. I just spent 15 minutes rambling on and on. He does it in a sentence. Good for him. Some of you are like, why didn't you just share that first and not take us down this journey? Well, anyways. What we love is revealed by our dreams. What we trust is revealed by our nightmares. And what we are slaves to obey is revealed by our most unyielding emotions. That's one of the ways to identify our idols. What I love, what I trust, and and what I obey. And see, the cure is confession and repentance. Confession is just agreeing with God. God, this is something. My desire for praise or people pleasing is just, it's become a false God, and I, I'm, I'm done just waving it in front of your face. God, my career, my body, you name it, whatever that is, my children, my hobbies, all these things that I have given more weight than you. Confession is just agreeing with God about what they are. And then repentance is turning in a new direction. And repentance just brings the power of God into that situation, which allows us to live in, in freedom and liberation. Let's close it up. You ready? Okay, I knew you were. Rules are the guardrails to freedom. We talked about that. Undivided worship of God is the foundation of true freedom. Watch this. We never talk about this in the church, and I think it's why we stay stuck. Can you give me 30 seconds? All of God will always bring the freedom of God. I think it's what we need in our day more than others, more than any other. And listen, you cannot, I said it at the beginning, I want to say it again, you cannot properly understand the Ten Commandments without understanding the Ten Plagues, that freedom God used to free them from captivity in Egypt maybe 40 days before they got the law. That was still fresh in their mind. And the 10 plagues, sometimes, and we've talked about this before, sometimes we think the 10 plagues are just, just some, God just randomly doing certain things just to show off his power. It's much more specific for that, than that. Every single plague that God sent on Egypt was directly associated to a false god in Egypt. For instance, the Egyptians worshiped the Nile. It was the god Hape, the god of the Nile. And so when the Nile turns to blood in that first plague, it was really a picture of Hape bleeding out under the supremacy and power of Yahweh. Do you see that? And it led the children of Israel to grow in their awe for God that he is greater than all these false gods. Because if you don't, if you don't live in awe, you'll never obey. You see? If you try to obey God without being in awe of God, it never works. In fact, look at verse 18 through 20 of Exodus chapter 20. If I was editing the Bible, I would have kept this part out. Thankfully to God, I wasn't asked to edit the Scripture, nor have I asked to be the chaplain of the Tennessee Volunteers. But when, when, when um, Moses finishes giving, or, or when God finishes giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, listen to their response, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, Mount Sinai, God is speaking from there. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a 
distance, hoping you would help me, and, and, and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They were in such awe of his power. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Don't have this paralyzing fear like that. God has come to test you so that the fear, the awe of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Let me tell you something. Without a proper awe of God, there will always be competition in your life with God. But the awe of God drives out the competition for God in your life. Now, here's what some of you are saying. Man, this is kind of old school preaching where it's like kind of legalism and fear. Not so fast. Watch this. Without awe, this healthy, vibrant respect for the power and the majesty of God. And you might ask this question, where where could I grow in awe of God? Listen, you stay in the Word of God, and you will grow in your awe of God. I promise you that, right? That's where it comes from. There's no magic sauce here, right? It's the truth of God's Word. Without a proper awe of God, there will always be fear in your life. That's the irony. If you fail to have a proper awe of God, you will be afraid of everything else. But when you have a proper awe of God, you won't fear anything else. That's the truth of Scripture. Fear God and fear nothing else. Fail to fear God and you will be a slave to every other fear. Let me tell you something. Awe will bring freedom from God and freedom rules. Awe will bring freedom and freedom rules. You got time for two questions? Here's the first one. Here's the first one. It's a big, it's a big one. Is he my deliverer or just a lawgiver? Because you will never obey the law of God until, first of all, you let him be your deliverer. That's the context of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 brought them out of captivity. Is he your deliverer or just a lawgiver? Number two, here it is. Let's close with this. This is super important. You'll never be free until you take this question seriously. What idol am I consistently waving in his face? What idol in my life am I consistently waving in his face? Have no other gods before me. What is that today? Is that family? Is that career? Is that food? Is that your body? Is that possessions? Is that hobbies? On and on it goes. Would you pray with me? Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you begin to do what your Holy Spirit so desires to do is reveal truth to us? Lord, would you show us here today if we've tried to make you a lawgiver without letting you be our deliverer first and someone here today or someone watching online would put their faith and trust in Christ and be rescued, be adopted, be set free. 
and then see these laws as a delight that lead to freedom, not the opposite. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you show us these idols that we keep bringing back and forth arrogantly in front of your face? And we would confess those and repent of those and walk in greater levels of freedom than ever before. Father, thank you that we are not under the law, but we are also not over the law. Help us to live in that tension. In Christ's name, amen.